Go to Romans chapter number 4 this morning, Romans chapter number 4, and we're going to be looking this morning beginning in verse number 9, Romans chapter number 4 beginning in verse number 9, but I want to draw your attention to just one verse as we begin, we'll cover these verses in just a moment, but go to verse number 16 if you would, Romans 4 verse number 16. Romans 4, verse number 16, the Bible declares, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Look at that expression that marks the beginning of verse number 16. Paul brings a conclusion. He says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. This is one of the most definitive statements we'll find in the book of Romans. I would dare say it's one of the most definitive statements we'll find in all of the word of God regarding how salvation works. You'll notice Paul declares two truths that must be kept together. These two truths, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Of faith, by grace. If it's of faith, it's by grace. Does everybody see it? If it's of faith, it's by grace. You cannot pull one from the other. You cannot hold one out by itself. They have to remain together. These two truths form what we consider to be literally what salvation really is about. We're in chapter number four. This is, by my count, this is message 20 in the book of Romans. We've covered 20, 20 messages already in the book of Romans. And Paul has made very clear, definitive statements about justification, about righteousness, about where salvation comes from. I was thinking this morning about why does Paul spend so much time speaking about these terms? Why does he continue to speak about the law? Why does he continue to speak about what we'll see again today? Circumcision and uncircumcision. Why does God continue to use Paul to speak these truths? Oftentimes we're tempted to look at something and look at a concept and we think, okay, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. There's something that's got to be telling to us this morning that God is spending so much time talking to us about the difference between law and works and circumcision and uncircumcision that he continues in the book of Romans to spread and, and share these things with us. These truths spread out through the entire book of Romans. I believe it's for no other reason than to remind us of just how important it is to consider these things. The Apostle Paul has already established this truth throughout the entire book of Romans that man is justified before God by faith. We, are, we would all agree on that. Man is justified before God by faith and not by works. But in this verse alone, he shows that in the most decisive manner, that it, that which is of faith must be by grace. It is of faith by grace. Faith by grace. Now, we'll look at verses 9 through 16 this morning, and we're going to see that Abraham, what Paul's teaching us here is that Abraham did not obtain justification by circumcision, because we're going to see clearly Paul is going to refer to Abraham's circumcision being, his salvation being before he was circumcised. 
And he's going to be very definitive about this truth. Justification, get this point this morning, justification has no necessary connection with or dependence on circumcision. Okay, now that's in contrast to what I just said. Faith depends on grace. Justification does not depend upon or even work in connection with circumcision. It is true today if you're saved, you are saved by what's referred to as free grace. It's grace that is free. When we see the word grace, we're talking about something that's been given free. It is not based upon my works. It's not based upon the connection. But the connection is, is that grace must be of faith. Salvation is guaranteed by God's grace. Now, notice what I'm saying here. Salvation is guaranteed by God's grace. If there is to be salvation, the guarantee that salvation is sure and secure and certain is by grace. Okay? Now, Paul nowhere declares throughout the Bible that all will be saved. But he does say this, that all that are saved are guaranteed by God's grace. Now, here's an interesting thing. Worldly speaking or humanly speaking, I can't make you a guarantee of anything. I can't guarantee a product. I can't guarantee uh, that you even will live through today. Isn't that encouraging? I can't guarantee you that. But I can guarantee you that your salvation is secured by God's grace. It's a guarantee. It's a seal. It's a sign. Which means there is nothing that can break that guarantee. That guarantee is based upon the covenant of God. A covenant is made between two parties. Those two parties have formed a covenant. God has covenanted with his people. And in that covenant, there is this guarantee of grace. Now, will we take into account the nature of the law? The law, which we've talked a little bit about, is contrary to promise. In other words, the law is not going to promise us eternal life. The keeping of the law is not going to promise us eternal life. Grace and faith go together. The law and death go together. Okay? If, if, if my justification is based upon me keeping the law, then I know the only result is death. My only guarantee is if I keep, try to keep the law, my guarantee is death. But if by grace, or faith is by grace... Now remember, Paul, as he's talking about Jews, he's talking about Gentiles, he's going to deal with the salvation. He's going to use the terminology for the seed. We'll talk a bit about that. The seed. Salvation is certain because of God's grace. Now let's go back and look at verse number 9 because remember we left off last week about the blessed man. And verse 8 gives us that conclusion. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. A blessed man is a man who will not be held accountable for his sin. That's the true blessing, a blessed man. And then Paul continually, and he asks this question immediately, he says, cometh this blessedness, that's referred to in verse number 8, then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? So he asks a very basic question. He says, is this blessed condition only reserved for the circumcision or the uncircumcision. For we say, now notice Paul says, we say that faith was reckoned. 
Remember from our study, the word reckon means to be imputed to or counted to the account of Abraham for righteousness. Now, this is a clear statement. He says, why did this blessedness come to Abraham? Because of the circumcision or because of the uncircumcision? No, he said this blessedness came by the reckoning of God. His faith was reckoned into the account of Abraham to declare him what? Righteous. Now, Paul asked the question, how was it reckoned? Or how was it imputed? Is this justification only for the circumcised Jew or for the Gentile as well? Why does Paul ask a kind of question like this? Because the Jews, did, they not only believe that justification before God depended on their works, at least a part of it, but that the blessing was connected with the circumcision, which if that's the case, then salvation was only for the Jew. Paul is trying to completely distance himself from the reality that the circumcision was a necessary connection with salvation. Okay, now this is vitally important. I know this is deep, but this is vitally important that we get these connections. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. The design of these words is to prove that justification belongs not just to the Jew, but to the Jew and the Gentile alike. Okay? And it is by faith, okay? It's by faith and not by circumcision. Abraham's a perfect example of this case. Now, again, we struggle in our modern era because we, we struggle with the reality of what the circumcision means. And we think about it in one way and to our own detriment, okay? And I'm speaking for myself personally. For many, many years and even today, I don't think about the subject that's before us this morning the way that I ought to. It is one of those deep wells that often when we see that word, it conjures up in us things. I don't really understand what the purpose of the circumcision is. I don't really understand what he's talking about. This seems like a little bit more than we need. But let me ask you the question. If it's more than what we need, why does God put it there? Why is he spending so much time on this if it doesn't matter? It matters not so much to us having a full understanding of it, but that we can see what God's principle and what he's trying to teach us through this. Paul asked that question in verse number 10, that how was Abraham's faith or this righteousness given to him when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision? This is a, a declarative statement. He's, he's saying Abraham was declared righteous or with faith before he was even circumcised. So the circumcision does not make salvation. These thoughts are separate. Remember I told you at the beginning, faith and grace are connected. Circumcision and salvation are not. Not in the purest sense. So how was it reckoned? How was, when was Abraham justified? If faith and righteousness was given to him before he was circumcised, then circumcision, number one, was not the cause. His righteousness and the reason it was reckoned to his account was not because of circumcision, nor is it necessary to justification. The Gentile as well as the Jew could come, and it was by faith. Now, here we're going to look at this this morning in Genesis 17. According, you had me turning there. According to the Scriptures... Abraham was in a state of righteousness and justification even before the birth of Ishmael. Now, if you know the story, 
That's an amazing statement. But you'll also see from the Bible here that this shows us very clearly that Abraham was not justified by this rite of circumcision, even though this rite was commanded. All right? Genesis 17, and look at verse number one of that chapter. Now, we're going to be here for just a few moments. Genesis 17, verse number one. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Now drop down to verse number nine. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Remember that phrase, thy seed. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Notice the phrase, token of the covenant. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. Notice there's a differentiation between his seed and those that are not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Now drop all the way down to verse number 24. And Abraham was 90 years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So here's what we, here's what we have happening here. We have uh, this, this, this covenant that God has, has promised through Abraham. This circumcision is to be a token, okay? A token is a distinction. It's, it's a sign or a distinctive mark. It's, it, is a, it is a seal. It's meant to show something. Here, it's a seal of righteousness. Abraham had already been received by faith. He had already had the righteous imputed to him before he ever had the circumcision even completed on him. Now, the, 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 the idea of the circumcision itself, the kind of the skin, represented a removal of sin from the seed... Okay, to take something away and placing it in the heart of a faithful, in the faithful love toward the Lord. It's a sign of what's taken place. It's the easiest way we can put this this morning. What Paul wants us to understand is the reality that he was not justified by the act of circumcision. He had already received the faith before then. Now, if you go back to Romans 4 and you look at verse number 11, it says that. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal, okay, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. Abraham was pronounced justified before he was circumcised, okay, he received circumcision as an adult believer. 
All right? As an adult believer, that's a sign, a token. A token of what? A token of the covenant that God had made with him. Understand, God instigated the beginning. The circumcision was a sign of what God had already done. Now remember, Paul's trying to speak to a congregation of people who are Jews and Gentiles. The Jews fully understand what Paul's talking about. They understand how they probably had Jewish relatives who had done the exact same thing. They were depending upon their circumcision as the means of their salvation. Now in our day and age, I have never to this day, I've never met a person, okay? And, and I'm not trying to be silly at this point. I've never met a person who looks at me and says, because I'm circumcised, I'm saved. Okay, I've not met them. But in their day and age, this would not have been uncommon. Okay, here's what they would say. We're all of Abraham's seed, yet God in Genesis 17 shows us there are those that are of his seed and those who are not of his seed. In other words, there are people that say simply because I'm circumcised means I've been justified, I'm saved. Now, again, I've never met a single person who's ever told me, you know, I've heard it all before. Why do you think you're saved? I'm saved because I got baptized. I'm saved because I give. I'm saved because I'm a member of a church. I've never had a single person tell me I'm saved because I'm circumcised. Never. I don't think I'll ever meet anybody. But that's the mentality that was going on in this church. They were trusting in that circumcision as what? As a work. Instead of a token. Instead of a sign. A sign of what? A sign of the seal, which it says about Abraham. He received the sign of circumcision. The sign. A seal. A, a sign or a seal is a sign given by God as an assurance of promised forgiveness. Through whom? Through the promised Christ. Abraham is the father of all believers. Okay, whether you are of the Jew or the Gentile, whether or not you are circumcised or uncircumcised has no relevance as to whether or not you are saved. That circumcision was meant to be a token, a sign of the removal of sin and the love of the Lord. It's a principle of taking something away and placing something there, taking away. That's the idea of this imputed righteousness we've been talking about. It says that he, he received the sign of the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had. I circled the two words he had. That's past tense. He already had righteousness. He already had faith. He had already received the grace of God. Yet being uncircumcised, here it is, that he might be the father of who? of all them that believe. Notice it doesn't say he's the father of everyone. He's the father of all that believe. Now right there, that puts to rest the idea that says, if I'm of the natural seed of Abraham, if I'm in the lineage of the Jew, if I can trace my ancestry back to Abraham, can I really call him my father? Not according to this. This says he's the father of all who will believe. Are you a believer this morning? If you're a believer today, then Abraham, you can refer, he's father Abraham. Not in the sense of God as father, but what is he? As a result of the faith of Abraham, we have this line that he would, when God said to the covenant through Abraham, you'll be a father of many nations. 
you'll be the father of the seed of many believers. Now, by the way, we're not going to study this this morning. Some of this is coming out of my own personal study. God also chose fathers of many other nations who are non-believers. Okay, so this idea that God only chose these men to be seeds to produce belief, uh, there are Bible story after Bible story, character after character of men that God allowed to, he chose them to be the father of particular nations, which were unbelieving nations as a whole. But Abraham will be the father of all who would believe. But notice what it says, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised. Now, again, this is not just the physical act of circumcision. It also refers to the Jew. Abraham will be the father of all who believe, whether you're a Jew or not, whether you've been circumcised or not, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And you should be thankful for that today. That the, the declare, he's not declaring that in order to be saved, you've got to be a Jew. Because I think that disqualifies every one of you in this room today. I think we're all without hope then. But yet, he's the father of all who will believe. And notice he says in verse 12. Or verse 11 again, if he received. If Abraham was just by before he was circumcised, then why be circumcised at all? His circumcision and the circumcision commanded to all the Jews was a token of the covenant which God had made with Abraham and his natural seed concerning the enjoyment of the land. So understand something. There were circumcised Jews who were of the natural seed. They enjoyed the land. They enjoyed the favor. The Jews were distinguished from all other nations. Now, if you go back to Genesis 17, I should have had you hold your place there. Just look at verse number 8. We skipped over this in order to, to bring you back here. Genesis 17, and look back at verse number 5 and read down through verse number 8 with me. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. You can see what God is doing there. There is this natural generational blessing upon Israel, upon, God's, on, uh, the seed of Abraham, but then there is this separation here. Paul dealing with all of these realities in Romans 4, verse 12, says, And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. Now you have this, this, this promise that Abraham as the father of all believers, whether or not they're circumcised or not, it's not in the sense that they imitate his reliance upon the circumcision, but they rely upon the promises of God. Rely on God's promises. Walk in the steps of that faith. The faith of who? 
the faith of that faith of our father Abraham. Your faith is related to the faith of Abraham. The same faith that Abraham had is the same faith that you and I must have in order to be declared to be declared justified. And if Abraham's faith was not based upon circumcision, it was not based upon any works. Today, your faith must be based upon everything except what is based upon any of our own works. It cannot be based on works. It cannot be based upon circumcision. This faith, our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Verse 13, for the promise that he should, that's Abraham, should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise here was not fulfilled on the basis of personal keeping of the law. Okay, because we've got to remember, when was the law given? The law was given even before Abraham. So as Abraham's walking, this has nothing to do with walking in obedience to the law. It was given so that sinners like Abraham would understand that their justification comes through Christ. The heir of the world refers to the promise of the land to Abraham. See, that which was promised to Abraham's seed trying to bring this down. It was not just promised to Abraham's physical seed. In other words, just being the physical line of Abraham, being a Jew, is not what God was making the covenant with. Today, there are Jews today that ultimately believe that I am fine. I am of the seed of Abraham, physical seed. No need for belief. I'm of the line of Abraham. There's a problem. That line of Abraham, that covenant, was not made with just his physical seed. This seed refers to those that would have the faith of Abraham. Only the believing seed had any right to that faith. There's two groups today. They're still mixed together. There are those that are still of the faith that believe that my faith comes by my works, it comes by my keeping of the law, and then there are those that believe my faith comes by my faith in Christ alone. Remember, Paul's been dealing with people who literally believe that something that they've done is what has created faith, it has created justification, and that's why Paul, when he declares it is of faith that it might be by grace. Faith and grace cannot be separated. Those two must remain together. Circumcision was just that typical sign of Christ. You study the Bible out, and like I said, we make a light. We don't spend as much time with the idea of circumcision because it seems old, it seems dated, it seems archaic. But the circumcision was to be used and is a typical sign the ceremonies of the law, the shame of the blood in the sacrifices, those were all given to show us the need for the shedding of blood to cleanse from sin. The circumcision of the heart is what he's talking about. You have to have a heart change. Your heart cannot be changed by what you do. Your heart can only be changed by God. That's why before a man can say he even, even has faith, he must be born again. There's got to be a change. 
While all of Abraham's natural seed by law was circumcised, it was only those who had his faith that were saved. That's the big difference. Many people would walk around and say, I'm of the seed of Abraham. I'm good. I have all that I need. But yet, we see that the promise, verse 13, that he should be the heir of the world. Abraham and all believers are heirs of the things that are in Christ. We are heirs today because we have the same faith that Abraham had. You're not saved for any other reason other than the fact that you have the same faith Abraham and how did Abraham get that faith? By grace. I have faith today because of God's grace. Faith is by grace. Salvation is guaranteed by God's grace. Without God's grace, there is no faith. Without, no, without faith, there is no justification. Without, no, without justification, there is no redemption. There is no eternal, eternity with Christ. It is, it is removed. It's gone. And then it says, for the promise that he should be the heir was not to Abraham or to his seed, to the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, again, what's the question? How was this faith reckoned or how was righteousness reckoned? It was not given to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And then he says this, for if they which are of the law be heirs. In other words, if you could be an heir of eternal life or righteousness through the law, here's what he says. Faith is made void. Now, remember, I just told you faith and, and grace are connected. But he says, if you could, if you are the, of the law, are the heirs. Faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Now, if you think that doesn't matter, <laughs> I've lost you. Because right there, if faith is made void, what do we have? We have nothing. Faith is made, of, made void and the promise made of none effect. What's the promise? The covenant. The covenant that God has spoken of. Faith is made void. Folks, we cannot embrace the promises of God. The promise of mercy that is given to all that will repent and believe, we cannot embrace those promises if you are seeking to be justified through the merit of personal works by obeying the law, no matter what you do. It doesn't matter what part of the law you keep. It doesn't matter how, uh, what a, a, a worthy thing you do, humanly speaking. If you for want seek one ounce of that, Okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to drive this home. If you seek one ounce of that, one less than an ounce of that, it makes your faith void. If I add anything to the finished work of Christ by the obeying or the keeping of a law, even to what he was talking about, he started talking about circumcision. They were limiting, they were, he's basically saying, if you're relying on your circumcision for your faith, faith is now void. If you're abandoning your righteousness on circumcision, your faith is now void. You have nothing to lean on. If the Jews who sought this righteousness and eternal life by the works of the law 
should on account of, if they could keep the obedience, if they could obtain grace and glory, then faith would be set aside. The reality is, this is the promise of righteous by faith is by God. Folks, if salvation is by works, it's useless for God to promise life to those who have an inability to keep the law. It makes no sense. Why would God, throughout his word, give a promise to save all who would say, I, have, I am unable to keep the law. I am unable to see faith. It can't be both ways. You can't have one. Remember, we began this by saying faith and grace are connected, but salvation and works are never connected. They are never connected. Now, Paul read this morning in the book of James. And that's one of the proof texts that people use. And they try to say, well, what about James? Doesn't it say Abraham was saved by his works? No. If you read the full context, you will, you will see that the writer of James was demonstrating that Abraham was displaying works as a result of his righteousness. His works did not save him. I heard a man recently say those words, and I, I know sometimes we think we're, this, is, this is way off where we need to be. I heard a man the other day literally say, Abraham, in part, was saved by his works. Not fully, but partly. In other words, there was something he had to do. If that's true, faith is void. Nothing Abraham did, and that's what I'm trying to get us to, the simplicity of this. Nothing Abraham did saved him. For because the law worketh wrath. That's verse 15. For the sinner, the law can only expose guilt and liability to God's wrath. That's why today, if you say, I, I'm preacher, I'm going to take my chance on the law. What you're basically saying is, I have decided I'm going to subject myself to God's wrath, because that's all you've done. If you, for one minute, say, I would rather be judged, I would rather be judged on my ability to keep the law than faith that God gives, you have just invoked wrath on yourself, because you can't keep it. The sinner comes to Christ and he comes open-handed. He comes humbly. He comes and he says, I have complete inability to do anything to merit anything you're going to place into my account. Empty. No sleight of hand tricks. No, I've got something up my sleeve. It's empty-handed. It is God. I have absolutely nothing in my life to offer you. I don't throw any idea up in God's face and say, well, God, I did this. God, I did this. God, I do this. God, I've, I've obeyed this. That's not empty-handed. Empty-handed means empty-handed. means there's absolutely nothing. For a man to say, I'd rather be judged by the law, he's basically saying, I would rather endure God's wrath than to receive righteousness by faith. So if you want God to hold you to the standard of the law, you've just asked God to pour out his wrath on you. That's what makes the cross so remarkable. The Lord Jesus Christ absorbed the full wrath of God, the payment for your inability to keep the law. That's what he paid for. 
But the man or the woman today that says, I, I can keep it. The law works wrath. If the law is broken, it brings the wrath of God. Guess what? You've broken the law. You say, I haven't broken it all. The Bible declares if you break one, you're guilty of all. So in our pure sense, in our nature, we are guilty before God. The law never justifies. It was never intended to justify. It was never meant to be a means of justification. It only, con- it only condemns the guilty. Every one of us who stand before the law and its requirements would receive the same verdict. You're guilty. We could line up one after the other. If we, could, if we line up in this aisle way and we could walk up and we could say, okay, God opened the law to us and declare us, declare the verdict, guilty or innocent. Judge me just on the law. Every one of us would be declared guilty. I would, you would, we all would be declared guilty. God would never say, well, do you have anything to offer? Do you have anything in your defense? No, I have nothing. Abraham couldn't say, God, I'm justified because I was circumcised. Abraham only had the choice of God. That's all he had. Nowhere does it say that God, Abraham earned God's choice. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, look what it says, there is no transgression. You know, you wouldn't know you broke the law unless the law was there. You know, people try to do that when they break a law. They try to say, I didn't know. And it, the law is posted. I mean, the law is posted everywhere you go. You know, if it says no trespassing and you put one foot over that property, it's not that you didn't know. Matter of fact, you know you're breaking it. You would not know about sin had there not been a law. I could sit here and declare to you And I've heard people do this. I could declare just how filthy rotten you all are and how rotten I am. But why can I say that? Because the law tells me that. The law is what tells me that I'm rotten. I'm not just saying that to be mean. People say that today. Preacher, you're so mean. Why do you tell people that they're rotten sinners? Because that's what the law declares we are. That's what makes the grace of God even more amazing. Because it shows me how bad I am. And yet he still saved me. And he did it with no sleight of hand. He did it with no tricks. He didn't do it with because of my prayer. He did it all because of grace. Sin is the transgression of God's law. The law is not just the written law. It's the law that's written and it's revealed through creation. We've been studying this. It's the law that's written through conscience. It's the law that's written on the heart. There would be no sin if there was no law. And that's what brings us back to where we started. Therefore, all of what Paul has just said, it, justification, is of faith, that it might be by grace. The administration of the law of Moses under the Jewish government, we must be true children of Abraham by following him and trusting God's promises. That's what faith is, trusting in the promises of God. Righteousness and justification are of faith and not of works. 
In no other way but through faith can salvation by grace be. Romans 11, verses 5 and 6, you don't have to turn there, just listen, says this. And again, this is one of those verses that says this is just for the Jews. And I praise God that it's not because of what's said here. Romans 11, verse 5. Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. I don't know about you, but if I just read that right, the first time I came across this, and I stumbled, and I stumbled, and I stumbled, and I stumbled, and I said, I don't, I didn't, I don't think I read that right. I think the first time I saw it, I actually my Bible and said, I, must, I got a bad translation. I got a faulty translation here. Something is not right. Did I just read? Did I just read that God has given the spirit of slumber, that eyes that should not see, that he actually closed eyes? I thought God just opened everybody's eyes and opened everybody's ears and said, now you choose. According to that, there's a connection between election and grace and not grace and blind eyes. What an amazing, amazing truth. Again, it's not something that we glory in. Even now, this nation, Israel, that God had elected to be his representative nation, Folks, there are people today, there are elect individuals who have been brought to faith in Christ. This is due to God's sovereign grace. It is His grace alone being given to the ill-deserving. Not because of any superiority compared with those who are not elected. In other words, if you say, I am superior to the non-believer, that's foolish talk. Your superiority has nothing to do with it because you're not superior. There is nothing that will cause a believer more cause for joy than the doctrine of election. Yet it's the most, one of the most hated doctrines in the church today. Yet for the believer, the doctrine of election is joyous. Because without election, there is no salvation. You need to remember that. Without election, there is no salvation. Who are the elect? They are those who God has chosen. God, I want to know who they are. That's not for you and I to know. And it's not for you to walk around saying, hey, I'm of the elect. You're not. Wherever that mentality came, it didn't come from the Word of God. But if you're saved today, you're saved according to God's good pleasure. It is of grace. A reward must be given 
either the reward is given by all of grace or all of debt. In other words, did God give you grace out of his free grace or did he give it out of a debt he owed to you? God didn't owe you anything. It can't be both. It can't be 99% him and 1% us. It's either all of grace or it's all of works. Which one are you relying on? You say, I want a little bit of grace and I want a little bit of my works to count. Then you're all of works. It's only when I come to the conclusion that my salvation is all of grace. It cannot be combined. If God takes into account any works of you and I, then salvation is no longer by grace. If he counts anything. To the end, the end of that verse is, Therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace that the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The only way salvation can be guaranteed and the promise of eternal life certain for the Jew, for the Gentile, is for the whole of the work to be by grace, by the grace of God alone. We were born sinners. By practice, we, we prove it. Okay? Another man I heard recently argue saying we're not born in sin. I don't know where this stuff's coming from. I have no idea where this is coming from. The same guy said the same thing. He said Abraham was saved partially by works and that man is not born in sin. And he also said this. He said, Jesus Christ is never said to be the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Yet Revelation clearly says the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. The same preacher said those three statements. Abraham was saved partially by works. Think about that just for a moment. The sinner is not born in sin. And that it never says in the Bible that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. You know what that means? Slain from the foundation of the world? That cross was determined long before man ever came into this planet, before man ever did anything that made God said, I got to send Jesus to the cross. That's why there was a covenant made way before you and I were ever even thought of. So the person that says Jesus Christ, the gospel didn't come into account until Jesus Christ actually came to this earth, bled and died, then rose again. The Bible says Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We're born sinners by practice and choice. We failed. Apart from God's grace, we have no hope. The blessing was not given to Abraham as a circumcised man, but as a believing man. And now it comes to all who will believe. Folks, what a, what a glorious mercy it is to think that there's no distinction being made between the Jew and the Gentile even right now. No distinction. Every promise of God belongs to those who have the faith. Faith by grace. It is a faith so that it might be by grace. Folks, we are part of that covenant. And as a result, the children of Abraham and his faith. Folks, a lot of times people like to say, oh, that seed only refers to Israel. That seed only refers to the Jew. I'm telling you what, your whole doctrine falls apart. If that's true, the whole doctrine of this Bible falls apart. 
Because if, it's, if that seed does not include non-Jews, then we're in trouble. That seed is all that will believe. Folks, everything that we need is found in what Christ has already done. Nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away. Believing glorifies God. When we believe, it's the glory of God. Why? Because we are acknowledging the faith that God has given us. Very simply, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. I hope you can understand that today and exactly what that means for you as a believer.